Discussion Protocol, Episode 8. Claw, how are we doing? I am good, Casey. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. I think uh, everyone's been busy in the markets. Crypto has been surprisingly resilient compared to the equity markets, but here we are. Yeah, it feels like we've had a bit of a switch. Crypto uh, volatility's collapsed and uh, TradFi volatility's gone through the roof, particularly in the uh, the FX world. Yeah, a um, little bit of a switching roles. Strange how resilient crypto's been kind of hovering in the same price brackets in, uh, in the majors, being ETH and um, Bitcoin. Not really dropping lower. Uh, don't know what's going to really push us down there what are your thoughts on that why do you think we have been so stable when everything else has been so volatile you know i think a few people mentioned it in in chat but there's some pretty big bids coming in on on eth and and, and bitcoin kind of helping us stay above the 1300 wall for the most part on eth and i think 1900 on bitcoin um i don't know so do you think we found a flaw I don't think we found the flaw. I think if we if we if we have found a flaw, then we then we should exploit it. But we're not that smart. Um, it's not something we just came up with now. For the most part, I mean, there's obviously some correlation between equities. Like when things go down, things are still going down in crypto, just not as much as expected. I think it's more of a delayed reaction, which we'll kind of see um, once kind of capital and like things run out from some of these investors, like outflows are still outpacing inflows on the crypto market. So I, I, I don't exactly know what's holding it up. I just know it's a little delayed. And, you know, if things go up and equities keep going down, I'll be extremely surprised and we'll have to dive into that a little bit more. But in the meantime, I, I just think it's a little bit of a delayed reaction. I don't know about yourself. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. I mean, at the start of the year when crypto was still heading higher, despite the fact we'd seen uh, a huge unwind in those um, highly leveraged tech companies, you know, the, the the sort of correlation between highly leveraged tech companies and crypto was firmly in place at the back end of last year. And then it kind of broke down at the beginning of this year as, as crypto was, was marching higher. And at that point, I wondered if I'd just overestimated the longevity of that correlation because correlations always break down right and one of the best ways of making money is predicting when they break down but then i started to perhaps uh my own book a little bit at the time and wonder if one of the reasons why crypto is holding up and is maybe that correlation had simply broken down because there was this view on crypto that the underlying technology has a, a bright future. So there's only so low it can go. So we kind of saw that this breakdown between those tech companies reliant on cheap money, which of course was fast disappearing, and crypto companies. And then of course we saw crypto collapse and uh, that correlation um, uh, surge back to one as, as they so often do. And, this time around, again, I'm sort of wondering, is it a question of, well, there's a there's a, a bit of an absolute low here uh, because essentially we go too much lower in crypto than people are, are willing to take that sort of long-term option on, well, you know, ETH is still going to be around in a long time. It's still going to be main part of the infrastructure going forward. So uh, this is an attractive level. Um, I mean, I was certainly of the view that any move below a thousand in, in ETH was was worth buying for for a long term buy and hold. So, 
I wonder if that's part of it, or this is just a uh, temporary blip and that we do see a, another down leg, as I, I think we will in a lot of TradFi markets. Yeah, I mean, I think people are still expecting another down leg. A lot of people are expecting three figures. I don't, I don't really see it going under a thousand. Maybe, maybe it'll blip under a thousand, but I think there's probably so many buys and walls set up right under a thousand that it's going to push the price back up a little bit for, for us. Um, I'll be on the bid there. Not that that's enough to uh, drive the price higher. But, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, people who are buying now are probably buying for long-term investments. Obviously, there's day traders and people doing swing trades and everything. But I think the view now is if you're into Ethereum, you're into crypto, now is a decent time to buy. There might be some lower legs, but in the grand scheme of things, this will likely be a low. I mean, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know if it's going to go to 10,000 or back to all-time highs around like five, but it's... um. Semantics. So we're basically saying there's only another 30 or 40% potential downside for ETH here. So uh, that, that, that makes it a safe yeah. haven in these markets, right? That's what we're saying, but we'll see We'll see what actually happens. Um, you know, before we get into other stuff, how, how have you been and what, do you, what did you do this past weekend? Any Anything interesting before we get into the nitty-gritty of the uh, crypto NFT Web3 news market? The, the short answer of how I've been is is stressed. Um, but other than that, I've been good. Uh, look, you know, TradFi markets have been been keeping me on my toes, and you know, I'm quite heavily in the FX space, and it's been interesting seeing the rise in uh, rates volatility over the course of uh, the the last uh, year. But um, uh, FX was kind of the, the the laggard there, and that certainly joined the party. Uh, it's gone from being a a pretty low vol relatively predictable asset i mean fx is always is always tricky on that front but uh the the volatility we've been seeing over recent weeks uh, has been eye opening uh, there's a lot of fx traders that have never seen this type of volatility unfortunately i've been around long enough that i have uh but certainly a, a lot of the new people on on fx desks yeah. around the world this will this this will be a bit of an eye-opener for them uh as a as the rates world found out about a year ago yeah probably the busiest some of the fx people have been on their desks in general um i don't know exciting is the right word but exciting time to be an fx if you're trading you're either making a lot or yeah, i mean getting fucked yeah, the, the, the last few weeks have been the busiest I've been since March 2020, um, and it's it's on a par with that period, so it's been uh, pr- pretty pretty wild, Casey, pretty wild. That's good. Um, what did I do this past weekend? I was I was out east again, kind of ending uh, the Montauk season. There was a chowder festival that they have annually there, which is pretty good. Had a bunch of clam chowders. Um, felt like shit the next day, honestly. I don't think you're supposed to ingest that much dairy and seafood in... in that short of a time span, but kind of well worth it. I did rent a car for the first time in, in uh, New York State. Well, that, yeah, locally, locally. Did you have to take a mortgage out to do that? No, it was actually pretty cheap. Um, this is not an ad. I wish it was an ad actually for, for Amex, but I, I get like 20% off like National and um, Enterprise rent a car. And they upgraded me to like a pretty big SUV for like five bucks more. It was pretty reasonable. They also took a day off because I, I returned it and I thought I was going to get charged for three days, but only got charged for two so oh looks like those car rental companies are up in their game then yeah this great isn't stuff. an ad for amex <laughs> or national enterprise but i i had a really great experience so <laughs> shout out to those to those people in my uh dis- discounts through uh amex cool um yeah i guess let's let's jump into some some more things here more macro related but i, I think real estate's finally sl- slowing signs of sh- uh slowing down um that market's just been on fire for like the past 
call it what year and a half, two years. Um, new building. Or you could say the the past decade, really. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, rates are rising, obviously, which is kind of the the major kind of talking point in the slowdown. But new homes, new contracts, uh, new builds, all down month over month. Um, yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, when you look at consumer confidence uh, expectations looking forward, it's it, it's collapsed to a a thirteen year low. Housing unaffordability earlier this year reached a, a record high, much worse than uh, leading up to the subprime crisis. Although completely different ball game compared to back then, I should say in terms of uh, the the credit quality in the market. But I think that this downturn was well flagged and uh, uh, inevitable, quite frankly. Now. I think one of the interesting things there is because the the US is, has this system of 30-year mortgages with basically a, a free option to refi if rates fall, you know, this in itself shouldn't necessarily put a, a the, the rise in interest rates shouldn't necessarily discourage people from from buying if they were planning to. But I think the the expectation that house prices are going to fall further is being the uh, the the main um, uh, main main thing putting people off that and of course uh, concerns about upcoming recession potential for the labor market to loosen so I think there's a lot of thing putting buyers off at the moment but I do think it is interesting looking at this unaffordability because yes house prices are coming down but with rates continuing to rise we're in this uh, situation where the affordability isn't really improving much uh, and given people's personal situations are deteriorating the outlook, I think, for the, the, the coming months isn't particularly great for housing. So, you know, it's kind of a delicate balance. Like, naturally, rates are going to go up, prices are going to go down, but are they going to balance each other out enough? And like you mentioned, with unaffordability, there's earnings are coming up. There's been job cuts across tech in most of the big sectors. Um, I'm assuming a lot of people who took out mortgages and, like, probably overpaid for housing in the past year are probably going to be underwater on their loans. So defaults are going to be up. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's let's be honest here. Uh, the market got completely out of hand. I mean, some of the, the increases you were seeing as a result of COVID. And, and it gets complicated, right? Because there's also shifting social factors with people leaving cities, moving out to the burbs at, at play here. Um, so there's a lot of different things. And I would also mention that, you know, looking at the US housing market on aggregate is not that useful really when you look at the regional differences we're seeing huge 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 divergence and that's likely to continue so uh the the size of the decrease is going to be very much dependent on on where you're looking but certainly some of these areas that really got hyped up particularly some of these areas that found a lot of uh airbnb bidders yeah and perhaps the 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 the, the, the uh the bottom's falling out of that market as well. So I think there's a potential for a further correction from where we're at now. For yeah, sure. I think a lot of these like second tier, I guess, call it first second tier cities like the Austins of the world where there was a pretty meteoric or exponential rise in the amount of residents and the quality of life and pay. So people were overbidding or overpaying for housing. A lot of those jobs are getting cut. People are underwater in mortgages. People are probably moving back as well. A lot of people moving back at home with their parents or another point, but like, some jobs are asking people not to work remotely anymore, come in some sort of hybrid situation. I'm assuming that's yeah, going to affect the other these. thing is, yeah, and that's also where the labor market comes in, right? When the labor market's so tight, you know, at one point, although I always think this stat's a little misleading, but roughly two job openings for every one unemployed person. At that point, you know, employees are able to uh, 
to state their terms a bit more fully, right? I'm I'm only going to work for these companies if I can work from home. Well, as soon as people start losing their jobs, uh, that situation might change quite quite quickly. And uh, when people are really starting to get in a situation where they need to find a job and they're struggling, then their terms are loosened. So we might see a situation where this whole idea of work from home that was partly because the labor market was so tight that labor had the power to say that they wanted to work from home. As employers and companies get the uh, get the power once more, they may well demand people uh, come back into the office. So I think we're going to see uh, uh, some sizable shifts in terms of those social dynamics going forward. And I, you know, I am a big believer that we we're we're past that period where people can. You know how many how many people do you know that were paying over asking price for a, for a house? Well, that that that's those days are gone, um, and there's going to be a lot of divergence between regions and a lot of interesting dynamics as far as demographics and and uh, and regional situations go. Yeah, I mean, hopefully I can buy a house next year or something. We'll see. We'll see how it works out. Um, maybe some of our side projects. If you have too much cash, Casey, I'm always here to take <laughs> some of that off your hands. Maybe some of our side projects will pan out a little bit. Um, let's let's dive into some uh, crypto stuff. Um, I think I think some of the big news this past week: uh, Binance Chain, six hundred million dollar hack. Did you read about that at all, or get any background on that? Yeah, I must admit I haven't dug into the details of that yet, uh, but a pretty chunky one, that's for sure. Did yeah, you, did you do much diving? A little bit, obviously. Like it was a little bit of a chat around the office around that. Um, I think the the TLDR on that is um, there was a you know vulnerability within the chain. Um, the hackers were able to basically create two million Binance tokens. I think one million two times. Um, and they cashed those out pretty much immediately. So they they were just able to create put put their own tokens in the ecosystem, um, which was the hack. So which is around roughly I think in, in notional like six hundred million dollars. So pretty sizable hack. Um, yeah. Successful for those guys. Uh, they had to shut down the the whole chain for for a pretty decent amount of time. Um, that's one so of those. So that's a question. How decentralized is something if it can just be shut down by one entity? Yeah. Um, again, I think, I think that, um, puts a lot of pressure on the crypto market and like confidence in the market in general, right? Like if one of the, like Binance is like what top three, top five, I don't, I don't know. It's in the top five, right? Chain wise. Um, if something like that would, which so many people build on and use for day to day can get hacked, it, it's not great for the crypto community and like web three in general, like it doesn't bode well if one of the main things pretty much gets shut down because someone hacked it. Yeah, it is pretty interesting seeing the different techniques that play in all these, uh, all these hacks, you know, it's always a different methodology, right? And it's, uh, it's almost a game of cat and mouse between security and hackers. Speaking of losing confidence in things, I mean, this is NFT, I guess, metaverse stuff, but um, I, I read that Decentraland had 38 active users um, in wow in like a $1 billion market cap, you know, type of coin. And again, doesn't look great <laughs> optics wise. Um, I don't know how they mark an active user. I'm assuming someone who probably logs in and does an action for a certain amount of time. Um, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, I think this this whole period where we're we're finding data points like this, it's. I do think it's good for the space in general, right? There was so much hype that it was it was almost impossible to to see the wood for the trees, and and now we're in this bear market. We're really seeing what are the things that do potentially have a future. What was just where's the real use cases emerging and i think it's actually really really good for the space longer term now i know you get a lot of people on twitter saying that when they're just uh you know really just trying to find a way to sort of justify their losses and and come to terms with their own actions over the last couple of years but i genuinely do think that that is the case and yes of course um, when we see hacks and so forth that's always bad for the space but uh in terms of shining a light on some of these underlying de developments and really getting to see what works and what doesn't, I, I do think that that's a positive in itself. Yeah, I mean, the, what's the saying? Like, bear markets are for when people build and everything. Like, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you don't have to focus too much on price action and being worried about things growing too quickly. You actually have some time to build some things and make relationships and, like, do an investment round that's sound and not just everybody throwing money at you, like people who actually want to be a part of your project because they're being a little more stingy with their, you know, VCs are a little more stingy versus throwing darts at a board, seeing what works. They're actually doing some sort of analysis and like working with the founders or these projects. So I think that's all good. I mean, everyone makes mark like some money in a bull market. It's tough to make money in a bear market, right? So speaking of other projects and stuff, uh, fellow and on admin and, and member AG, um, part of the, how do you pronounce it? NFTs are back, baby. Or NFTs some are NFTs back. are back, at least. Uh, Degenheim, is that how you're, you're pronouncing it? Because that's how I'm pronouncing it. Yep, that's how I've been pronouncing cool. it. Okay, so Degenheim, uh, you know, as far as I know, play to earn game. Crushed it. Yeah, play to earn metaverse game. Um, pretty big team. I think they have like a 20 person team right now, some good developers on it. The, the preview for the gameplay looked great too, but they did basically yeah. like a auction, um, 250 pieces. It was basically like a pre-mint pre of like the top tier, like legendary um, NFTs for gameplay. Um, it was an auction, yeah. I think, where, you know, you could bid whatever. And then the, the lowest price of the 250 would be the price that everyone in the 250 paid for um, the NFT. I think it ended up at 3.6, which is around 900 ETH. Um, pretty impressive in a market like this. Really impressive. I think, um, you know, projects are having to get more inventive about the way they mint. I think a lot of people wish that uh, uh, the other side had had taken a similar approach to Digenheim, but uh, certainly uh, fantastic to see uh, someone as part of the, uh, the Anon crew doing so well and putting something out there that, uh, well, we haven't seen many successful mints at the moment, right? And as you just alluded to, pretty solid team behind it. So hopefully they'll be able to, to, to follow up and actually deliver because, you know, that's that's always the hard part, right? The, um, you know, well, everything's the hard part at the moment. But as we learned during the bull run, very easy to, to mint projects, but how many of those projects actually delivered on the, on the back end and actually just a lot of rugs based on like things mint out they'll release a picture it looks like complete shit or like the gameplay looks like it was made on a snes versus whatever you were expecting metaverse wise so you know this yeah, looks those like it days might are actually, over. exactly like people are actually doing a little bit of research and, and so yeah. you know hopefully we have a few more of these um coming up we'll get ag on the pod maybe in an episode or two to talk a little bit more about yeah this and yeah i was speaking space. to him earlier he's uh he, he's going to join us in a few so once the uh 
once the dust has settled and uh, he's uh, he's not working 25 hours a day, uh, I think he'll join us. And I very much look forward to that because, you know, as we're saying, it's one of the few projects that's managed to have a very successful mint in the current environment. So it'd be fascinating to hear about the process, the approach and uh, how they managed to do it. Yeah, yeah, that'll be great to hear about. I think I think more, more so in the NFT space, um, you know, OpenSea, obviously volume pretty much pennies compared to what it was a, a year ago. But uh, I feel like, or I mean, at least I've been seeing and hearing from the community that like Magic Eden's been doing fairly well still. There's still some solid volume on there, especially on Solana NFTs. I don't know if people are completely migrating to there, but you know, I think it's a little lower risk, uh, not as high reward, but I think that's just why they're getting a lot of volume. And obviously like Ethereum coming to Magic Eden's pretty big, it's, at least for me, their, their user experience is a little bit more, um, straightforward and easier to use as far as someone who's like looking at nfts compared to OpenSea, um but we'll, we'll see how that we'll see how that plays out yeah that's interesting because i think i mentioned this on a previous podcast but essentially one of the problems of soul nfts was always one of the benefits which was that it was so cheap and gas was so low that it didn't cost much to set up a project which meant that there was a lot more rugs in that space of course there were enough rugs in the in the eth space but Obviously, since the merge, uh, gas prices are, are have dropped. Well, to be blunt, it's not really necessarily because of the merge, but uh, gas prices in Ether are a lot lower now than they were. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So um, now that that spread between Sol and ETH has has declined, and it does seem that uh, the 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 Sol um, blockchain seems to be seems to be forming much better when it comes to NFTs than, than ETH at the moment. Of course, you've still got your blue chips on the ETH. On, on ETH, but uh, be interesting to see how that, that develops going forward for sure. Yeah, we'll see if people kind of dip their toes into other markets, specifically like another chain's NFTs like Solana. I mean, you know, Ethereum is the second biggest thing thereafter after Bitcoin. So people just kind of gravitated towards that. And OpenSea was the biggest platform at the time. So everyone gravitated towards that. But I think as education develops in the space and people dip their toes in other things and learn about other chains or other types of NFTs. Um, and just, you know, price-wise, I mean, obviously Solana is a lot cheaper, just one Solana versus like one Ethereum. Um, not a one-to-one, -one, obviously, because we're talking about different currencies. But still, like, Something that might cost for Solana right now is only like 140, like yeah, 140 bucks maybe, uh, US versus something that's one Ethereum to three Ethereum. That's that's still three to four grand. It's still a much higher barrier to entry, uh, even though it's I don't know more approachable initially. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Have you bought any NFTs recently, KC? Um, I I actually did buy um, it, you know you know Channel Trace the DJ. He did like a, no, I don't actually. He's like a, he's like a house. He's like a house DJ. He he did a collaboration with Kirby somehow. You know, like the the, the Nintendo character, uh, and he oh, right. he released the collection. I think it was like five thousand, maybe maybe like three thousand NFTs. But each uh, NFT also had like music uh, associated with it, and you know he basically gave every holder who bought one of those NFTs complete rights to that song or like that production so you can use it for okay like, so we can use it for theme song uh, music and here uh any, and any set like, up with royalty collection agencies yeah, like yeah. if you could promote that song and and get it played on the radio you'd be able to collect royalties from a hundred percent you own any and wow. all royalties co connected to that so I, th I thought it was pretty interesting it was a pretty cheap nft i think i bought it off secondary for like point of 
Um, so I was yeah. thinking about um, that idea when you know when you look at a track and you're producing it with different stems and so forth. You could essentially create like a, a hundred different versions of the same track, but with just slight variations. So I don't know. One uses a certain hi hat, the other one uses a different hi hat. That's a hundred. Each one would be that's 100%, unique. That's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent what uh, I think he he did. Um, ah, you know, you know, th different like BPMs, slightly changing the vocal pitch on some of these, adding in hi hats. One adding a synth wave in another. Um, I'll send it to you after. It's like it's an interesting look. Yeah, I mean the the whole NFT and music space is particularly interesting. I know there's one company, uh, Jukebox PR, that are, are certainly leading the way in that space, and they build a, a pretty sizable Web three team there that are are doing a lot with music. And I think that there's there's a natural fit there, right? You can think of music as being a form of art in the sense that uh, you know NFT a digital artwork. But of course, it also also spreads to um, NFTs uh, and music in the term in the sense of uh, ticketing and memberships and and things like that, which is another huge area for for Web three going forwards. Uh, yeah, very natural fit there. And as I mentioned, you know, Jukebox PR certainly doing a lot in that space at the moment. Yeah, what was that? Uh, I sent you that article in, in our in our Telegram chat uh, with that kind of a hospitality. Um industry web3 raise who was it was it called like blackbird or something let me pull it up or i don't know if you have it up Ah, uh, the um uh the hospitality restaurant industry yeah certainly yeah. again another yeah. very natural fit given you know web3 uh, i'm i'm a huge believer in the use of nfts for loyalty schemes ticketing i think that that is just such an obvious use case that uh I truly do believe that it will revolutionize those areas going forward. And we're already seeing players in the space. But yeah, when it comes to ticketing, loyalty programs, it's just a no-brainer. It really is. I see it. It's called the uh, Blackbird, um, the Resi co-founder, Ben Leventhal, raised $11 million for it. Pretty impressive to raise that in this market. Um, definitely a good use case. I mean, it's, pretty, it's a pretty natural fit like you just mentioned. So kudos to them, maybe. We'll think of something like that in the future or invest in something but uh, it's 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 just a pretty natural fit i don't know why there aren't more players in that space right now that uh, will be that's for sure there will be you know i think a lot of people essentially get put off by the word nft or the acronym nft i should say uh given what's uh what's happened with uh, you know pfps and, and and so forth but really let's just go back to this argument that there's been since the beginning of crypto when People talk about cryptocurrencies, this, that, and the other, but I don't think anyone denies that the blockchain is useful. When, when it comes to NFTs, it's the the same thing. Yeah, okay, you can argue that PFPs are or whatever, but when it comes to the actual technology, there, the idea of a a unique non fungible token, um, as I said, you know, I really do think the use cases are pretty obvious, quite frankly, and I think it's just a question of time before they become more mainstream. So. Um, for me, it's it's just a, a bit of a uh, bit of a marketing issue at the moment, given what's happened with NFTs and and a lack of understanding, quite frankly. And you know that's where that's where companies like Jukebox PR doing stuff in the music space with NFTs come into play, and it's where companies like Frontier X moving uh, and doing work with uh, with uh, blue chip uh, corporates comes into play. So I think it's going to happen. It's just going to be more of a uh, more of a walk rather than a sprint at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think NFTs kind of have a bad rap right now, mostly with like uh, celebrity pump and dump scams and like 
you know, some of the stuff, uh, yes. some of the stuff around like board ape right now. I think it was it like last week. Anonymous had that whole video with like uh, the Nazi like far right stuff related to um, uh, board ape and asking the celebrities that own them to basically sell or like get rid of their NFTs. Um, so there's just like a, ba- a lot of bad press right now around that kind of stuff. Obviously, like NFTs can be used for a multitude of things. It's just I think the everyday consumer and like the retail investor. Um, 95% of them, when they hear NFT, they think of like a picture of a monkey or like a pixelated picture and that's worth like seven figures. And they're like, that doesn't fucking make any sense. You know, they're not thinking of the use cases of like you owning something on the blockchain, uh, showing that this is your ownership and it can be anything from again, real estate to loyalty points or something. Um, there's just a multitude of use cases. It's just the poster child for this stuff is obviously like profile pick nfts which is unfortunate um yeah but also like in it at all it also spread obviously what nfts are just like not the image i think a lot of people want right now um speaking of bad press i guess with crypto kim kardashian fined yeah uh, seven figures was it like 1.2 million dollars for the sec for like a crypto basically scam coin i i think it was ethereum max or something i don't even remember well the sec specifically that fined her I, I, I wasn't sure if it I was that so. or if it was just about um, basically advertising something without branding it an advert. She did put she did seen. put she did put hashtag ad or she did she, an, oh, she okay. did say so it was it an advertisement. Yep, it's it was the SEC. Um, I must admit, usually if a headline has Kim Kardashian in it, I don't really pay much attention. So yeah. I haven't actually looked at this one at all. I mean, again, like one point three million dollars is a lot of money. It's probably a good drop in the bucket for Kim Kardashian. She probably made more money on that anyway. Uh, that's breakfast. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 light work for Kim Kardashian. But like, I'm assuming she's a high-profile name. The SEC wants to avoid people doing these in the future. Um, the best way to do that is get one of the highest-profile people in the world charged a million dollars. If you're an influencer who definitely can't afford that, you're not going to want to, you know, teeter the line of possibly getting fined by the SEC. In, in your head, you're thinking. If Kim Kardashian can get fined and can't get away with it, like what what chance do I have? Um, this is almost like the Martha Stewart insider trading kind of scandal to uh, to scare away people. Like tons of people do way worse insider trading than what Martha Stewart did. Um, you know, she was again like the poster child for this thing. Let's 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 find this super famous woman for selling us stocks so she wouldn't lose a lot of money. Um, I, I you know I don't know what side of history this is on, but like I'm. I'm pro Martha. I mean, it's always interesting with these insider trading ones, right? Because they they tend to go for the the small fry because the the big fry have very deep lawyer pockets, much deeper than the SEC. So they they tend to go for the easy prey, unfortunately. Despite the fact that, as you just alluded to, a, a lot of the the victories that you get around insider trading tend to be absolutely tiny tiny examples of it compared to uh to to the the big uh criminals in that space should we say yeah um and that's not forgetting what happens in congress itself but uh, that's another story that's that's a whole other podcast but uh, yeah i i mean what what did martha stewart possibly i think she she uh didn't lose eighty thousand dollars by doing this insider trade or whatever we call it. I, I must admit, I don't I don't know the details. Of I, I think it was under six figures. Basically, I think she got like a tip to sell a stock before some news. 
Congress. Yeah, and look, insider trading, it definitely shouldn't be tolerated. It definitely should be punished. It's it's not okay, uh, 100%. But, uh, yeah, we can certainly... Uh, we can certainly point criticism at the way it tends to be uh, uh, targeted, shall we say, because, you know, it isn't the... We often see examples, right? And you're like, you know that the insider trading's gone on and you, you sit there and you wonder why they haven't been prosecuted for it. You know, quite public ones. Yeah, there's to, some very public figures in the political space who are doing some stuff in plain sight that are, I would say, multitudes worse than Martha Stewart had done but it, yeah. is, it is what it is right now well it goes back to the old uh uh what's lobbying uh, except for legal corruption but yeah uh, that's true that's a, that's another story what else can, what else can we uh, do here in our short little episode i mean there's bitcoin miners are pretty much getting slaughtered right now um Difficulty supposed to yeah, go th up. Those producing their own energy are just selling it back to the group now rather than bothering to actually keep yeah, mining yeah. those well, bitcoins. There's, there's the, I think difficulty is supposed to go up by like 10, 13% and then with ri rising energy costs, obviously, especially in Europe, mining costs, um, it doesn't make sense for them to, to mine Bitcoin right now because they're probably losing money at this point. I think uh, our, our mutual friend, who works for a financial firm and has some crypto miners in that portfolio mentioned that one of his miners, uh, one of his mining companies he works with shut down operations because they were, they had to pay to produce power at one point from one of their wind generators. I, I didn't really get the semantics of it, but basically like the energy crisis is fucking <laughs> the Bitcoin miners. Yeah. And that energy crisis is not about to be fixed anytime soon. I, I find it almost hilarious when you have some analysts basically making assumptions in their forecast that the energy crisis is going to be different within within 12 months. Uh, I will tell everyone listening to this with the high conviction that the energy crisis is not going to be fixed in six months. It's almost comical that anyone would suggest it would be. Obviously, the US is in a different position, but if we're talking about Europe, then this is going to be problematic for a long yeah. time to come. You know, surprisingly, my, my electric bill actually went down like 20% this month. I think it was more because I was traveling, but uh, I'm sure all my European counterparts did not have the same um, experience. But and Look, you know, I, I know I've said this before, but when it comes to inflation, if you're just relying on oil prices falling uh, to, to get inflation back down in line, that, that's not policy. That that's a, that's a hope and a prayer. And when it comes to energy prices in general, look, there's there's huge, huge, huge shortages. There's a lack of refining capacity. There's a million and one reasons to expect the prices to move higher. Yes, we know it's probably going to come down, but uh, the supply side, I think, is is in far worse shape and and it is going to override any uh, any deterioration on the demand side. So. Yeah, and of course, in the in the US, they've really eaten into those uh, into the SPR, and yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good, particularly with the situation in Russia, Ukraine, just seeming to uh, to go down the path of escalation at the moment. So yeah, I think there's I think the worst is yet to come, unfortunately. Yeah, that um, that's escalating a lot quicker and more aggressively than um, I, I've imagined. I mean, you probably know more about this th than I, but um what's what is the latest right now with, with ukraine russia and kind of the eu uh, there's been a lot of heavy bombing overnight of course you know russia annexing off those regions and claiming that they're they're uh, uh, russian territory then we had the, the bombing of the bridge heading into crimea crimea 
Um, so, you know, essentially things are getting worse. And, you know, unfortunately, when you look at the whole Russia-Ukraine situation, the kind of ideal has been dragging it out. Uh, and the reason I say that is, of course, that's not ideal for any, anyone else, in, anyone involved. But the bottom line is, if uh, it looks like Ukraine is, is getting the upper hand, then that pushes Putin into a corner, which is a very scary prospect. And on the other side, of course, if Putin's winning, then uh, that's a scenario that I, I, I'm not a fan of either. So the, the sort of long drawn out situation was arguably the, the best from a, a game theory perspective. But the, the escalation does seem to be happening. But, you know, it's very difficult to get the solid information because there's just so much propaganda from, from, from both sides. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, it's a, it's a very tragic situation. So um, we can always hope for a near-term resolution, but I, I suspect that's not going to happen. And uh, I'm going to use the phrase again, but things are going to get worse before they get better. Got it, yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm not super up-to-date with some of that stuff, but a little worrying. Uh, I guess staying in the uh, European Union kind of talk, uh, Portugal instilling a tax on crypto short term under one year kind of gains. I think that's good for the space. I completely missed that. Completely missed that. It was today. They announced it today. Portugal announcing uh, starting, I think starting next year. That, um, well, so, so they, they weren't taxing crypto before? Because obviously, you know, crypto is taxable under capital gains in the US. So it's always been subject to short and long term. Yeah, I, I don't I don't tax. think I don't think they have it all. Um, and they're officially doing it into their building into their tax plan uh, next year, I think, or maybe they're proposing it for yeah, next year for just for short term short term gains. Um, but I think that bodes well, like if, if governments major governments are integrating this into their financial systems and recognizing it as a taxable thing. I think that's good. I mean, it's not great if you're a crypto billionaire in Portugal and you're about to get taxed um, off some gains next year, but neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, this just goes back to the the old argument about um, decentralization versus centralization, regulation versus no regulation. It's a uh, it's a uh, it's an in-depth argument uh, too long for, for, for this episode for sure. But I do think that, unfortunately, for those that are proponents of decentralization, um, the the future for uh, crypto is is likely going to be more centralization and, and, and more regulation, uh, whether you like it or not. Anything else we want to chat about? I mean, there's, I think, smacker things we can always bring up. Earnings, I think, have not been looking great. A lot of downgrades across the board yeah. for major companies. Watch out for that guidance for sure. Yeah, I think I think a lot of Q4 and 2023 guidance is going to uh, play a major part in, in seeing how things shake out for us. If it's weak guidance across the board, it's going to be looking like a dreary Christmas for everybody. But yeah. um, we'll see. Yeah, I think uh, those hoping for that Fed pivot are going to be uh, are going to be hoping rather than. Uh, achieving their desired outcomes or, or realizing their desired outcomes because that fed pivot is not going to be happening any time soon what do you have a uh, plan this week anything interesting i guess we'll end up with some happy-ish or like I don't know, positive things uh i mean we have we have dinner lined up this wednesday at lords uh owners of dame spinning off their new british restaurant um oh nice yeah so nice nice yeah yeah i'll send you the um, menu yeah i've got a few few dinners lined up for this week but generally i'm just going to be working my butt off quite frankly casey you know what i just i just got a I just got a message while we were talking it's a nyc tech week i don't know i don't know what the hell that means but i guess that's 
something. There's a few crypto bits dotted around. But... Yeah, I, I've, I've gotten a few like uh, happy hour invites. I don't know how useful those will be, but maybe I'll drop by one. Maybe we'll meet somebody interesting. All right, I guess we'll uh, wrap it up here. Yeah, Casey. Yeah, um, you know it's. Uh... As you can probably tell, it's a, a, a bit of a tough one this week. Just so much going on in TradFi space that uh, it's been a, a pretty difficult few weeks. And I think it's going to be a couple more difficult weeks ahead. But uh, we've got some great guests coming up on future episodes. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, particularly this breakdown of uh, DGenheim. I, I really want to really want to hear how they how they did what seemed to be the impossible so um i'm really looking forward to yeah that. agreed i think i think um did i say impossible then I, you impossible. did say impossible but it I, I shows guess... you what a long few weeks it's been <laughs> um anything's impossible yeah I, I i'm keen to hear about that i think um crypto kind of metaverse whatever you want to call it gaming is kind of a natural fit for the nft marketplace and something i'm really happy to see evolve all right till next time talk to you later till next time kc see you later top down top down all over the top down see me wrong with the top down with my niggas and your bitch rolling with the top down